0: I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. Okay, I'll do a little intro, um, and I don't know what the intro will be. I apologize. I've never been so nervous, and so... Ah, holy cow. Okay, let me make sure. Yep, okay, there's my notes. All right. Hi, everybody. My guest is Weird Al Yankovic. Hi, Weird Al Yankovic.
1: Hey, how you doing?
0: I'm good. Um, So... um, I don't know what we're doing here. Um, you can go anytime. <laughs> it's fine. Um, you know what though? Okay. Here's the thing. So this background is, uh, the New York magazine, New York times magazine shoot from last year that got bumped away to, from the cover because COVID is selfish.
1: Um, yes. could have been the cover. Um, you were very a little, kind a little there. tasteless in the middle of a pandemic to have like <laughs> hundreds of people grouped together hey, in weird outwages to boot. Good
0: God, can you imagine if that had been the first super spreader? Oh God, let's not talk oh.
1: about that. <laughs> never mind, never
0: mind. Uh, yeah. Let's talk. Um, in in the article that this is attached to, this is something I did not know about you until I read the article. You transcribed George Carlin's FM and AM album. Is that correct? Or yeah FM. I, I mean I was, I, was,
1: I was however old i was i mean that album came out in like what 73 or something ish mm-hmm. uh, yeah so I was, I was in my early teens and uh yeah i don't know i was a little you know uh, uh ocd maybe back mm-hmm. then i still am of course but back then it was like uh, they didn't of course didn't have any like lyric sheets on albums uh for the most part and especially not for comedy albums and i i you know that was like the only album that i had and i just obsessively got out the little manual typewriter and transcribed every single uh word of the, and and this was not a cassette tape or anything so instead of hitting pause i had to stick put the needle back on the record <laughs> and it may or may not be in the right place oh my god
0: i mean i've done this i've done what you're talking about i did the exact that's why i was sort of shocked to find out and it then confirmed, yes, we probably do have roughly the same OCD, which <laughs> I think is part of, you know, there's the common. Everybody likes to ask you weird, weirdo. You mu- you must have a dark side. Let's talk about your dark side. And you're like, not really. Uh, but I feel like, you know, I'm a kind of person who doesn't feel like I have a dark side. But like all human beings, I have dark thoughts. Those then come through my art in as fun a way as possible. Um, is is that the case? Is that what it is? Is it just you're a human being? You have dark thoughts, and that's and you expurgate them by being funny.
1: I, I suppose so. I mean, I, I don't I, I don't think of myself as a dark person, but right. I mean, but I, especially on the on the uh, on the Vanity Tour when I was doing all the original songs and kind of hearing myself singing these lyrics and going, this is dark stuff. <laughs> like, where did this come from? Like, so many of my songs go to a really really dark place, and I don't. I, I, I don't think of myself as that way, but maybe yeah maybe that's just a way of me uh, me getting that <laughs> Out of my brain. I don't know.
0: I only ask because I know that there are type there are a million different types of OCD, and we're not going to stay. This is not a mental health podcast. But, but I've got a <laughs> is few. It an of
1: intervention. Them. Are you? <laughs> yes. A...
0: I'm so sorry. I didn't. I should have warned you. But that's not how an intervention works. It wouldn't work if I'd have warned you. Um, but there are literally there <laughs> type. They're, ty- they're a part of a part of some OCD that's just called intrusive thoughts. It's just a type of thing, and like there, you you get obsessed with thoughts that you cannot control. And I feel like there's a lot of comics I've noticed. I know, I'm sure if I ask them, I, I, I can tell that it is coming out in, they just have to express it, otherwise it's going to come out in just blurts of swear words or vile things that they don't want, they don't want to express otherwise.
1: Yeah, I, I don't, um, you know, if I can use the phrase, I, I, I'm probably on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I to, to say that I have any kind of real uh, problem, I think would maybe not be be uh, uh cool to people that that do have those kind of me- mental health issues so sure. I, I don't want to imply that i've got something that i don't but but you know certainly to some extent uh you know i i do uh, i am obsessive certainly about a lot of things in life and particularly my work and and, and a lot of times that, that's helpful when, when you're doing the kind of work that i do is to to like you know be that anal and detail oriented Uh, it it can get to the the point where it's counterproductive and annoying to everybody else in your life Uh, but hopefully (laughs) I, (laughs) i i try to keep some boundaries so that it doesn't quite reach that level
0: when I dig through the list of like the typical list of if anybody asks you who your influences are, they make sense to build up to sort of where you come in. But then at some point very early in your career, verisimilitude becomes such a huge part of how you make your comedy work. And that's not like what Alan Sherman did. That's not what Stan Freeberg did. I feel like your one thing was like, let's make this sound as much like the original as possible, but I'll throw in an accordion. That's my thing at least early on, is that part of the obsessive thing to make it sound as much like the original as possible?
1: Nowadays, yeah, I mean, certainly for the, for the first album or or so, we weren't weren't that uh, concerned with it. Till sure. or, you know, we'll, we'll get close. And you know, once, once you have a, an accordion as a lead instrument, like all the other versatility goes out the window, because it's like, obviously not gonna sound like the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, but starting yeah, probably around the second album, uh, we thought, well, I mean, you know, it probably would be more fun to have it sound as close to the original as possible and really really suck people in so like when they hear the opening notes on the radio uh they think it's the original version and then all of a sudden there's this weird guy singing different lyrics
0: mm-hmm. why did you decide it was important to do the same with videos i mean it seems like an obvious question but
1: well yeah well really for the same reason i mean um you know and, and when you've got the vid- uh visual element uh, you can throw in so many other uh, pieces of comedy and and visual jokes and things that you can't do uh, with with just an audio recording, uh, and you know, and that's that's funny as well to like see an image that you're familiar with uh, and have it tweaked just a little bit, something just just a little bit different. And that mm. that really I, I think adds to the humor.
0: Um, is Nature Trail to Hell a perfect song? That's just a note I wrote.
1: <laughs> it might be. I, well, thank you. You know, that was uh, uh, the music, at least, was based on a song that I wrote when I was about 10 years old. What? It was it was, it was an instrumental. That I would play on my accordion when I was like 10 years old. And, you know, I, who was it? I think Johnny Carson said, you just never you never waste anything. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> and by the time I was writing the second album I was like, oh, let me pull this out of my my uh, bag of ideas like this thing I wrote when I was 10. Wow. So uh, particularly, I think like the whole instrumental break in Nature Trail to Hell. Written when I was ten. <laughs> wow, uh, this I had no idea.
0: Maybe yeah. I'm a terrible fan, but I had no idea. That's <laughs> remarkable.
1: I don't talk about that a lot, so you're one of the few.
0: Oh, okay, good. Me and Johnny Carson. Um, so <laughs> let's. <laughs> no, that's,
1: that's not the case.
0: Now, should we talk a little bit about? So you said FM and AM is the only record you owned at the time. How long was that the case, or were, did you move on to other stuff?
1: Um. Well, I. I you know, I honestly, I'm not sure if I if that came out before or after goodbye yellowbrick road I, um uh, classical gas was the first single that i ever bought when i was about 10 mm-hmm. uh, at Wallach's music city uh, and then yeah you know, A- fm and am i think was maybe the first album purchased and and uh, goodbye yellowbrick road was the first uh like rock slash pop album i ever purchased okay. so they were all uh, that was those were probably about the same time like 73 ish mm mhm did you, what What was in the
0: house? Was the other stuff, the Alan Sherman and stuff already in the house, stuff your parents listened to?
1: Well, my, my folks didn't have a big record collection. Like uh, they, you know, they lived through the Great Depression. So they they had uh, this code where uh, I don't, they weren't cheap, but they were extremely thrifty. And the whole thing with my mom in particular was why do you want to go see a movie in a theater it'll be on tv in eight months <laughs> and it was the same thing with with uh with music like you know why would you ever want to buy a record like they play songs on the radio for free <laughs> and that was kind of the way they they lived their life and and you know when they saw how important some of these things were to me they relented and allowed me to you know buy an album which was like a big deal for them mm-hmm.
0: so did you hear the other stuff
1: exclusively on dr Demento, or is it just around um the, well the, the, um mostly dr demento i mean I, I was familiar with a lot of the artists that he'd played uh back back then uh, already but but certainly i was exposed to a whole world of things that i was just not familiar with at all so that was you know that really kind of opened the floodgates were
0: you there did you hear him roughly around the time he started on radio or did were you like a later convert
1: not a lot later i think he actually started on KPPC in uh, mm-hmm. 1970, if I have my history right, I may not. Uh, and I, I don't think I ever listened to him back in those days. I, I, the first time I I listened to him, he was already on KMET. So it wasn't like right when he started, but it was like maybe two years afterwards. So I was I was early, but not like, you know, the very first. It wasn't like, you know, uh, hearing MTV on the opening seconds with the buckles, you know.
0: Right, right. Yeah, because mo- this is a weird thing. So I grew up mostly in upstate New York and a bit in Europe. I didn't have comedy radio was never a thing. No Dr. Demento or anything. I don't even know how I heard you or saw you first. My parents brought home a tape. One of your tapes must have been, uh-huh. I guess. And then later on, I rediscovered you in some when my best friend says, hey, not yet my best friend until he introduced me to this. And he says, hey, did you know he has an album? And I said, holy Crap. He does more than just songs and, and videos. I really assumed you had done, you know, just what I'd seen on MTV. Uh-huh. And so we didn't have that exposure. Everybody else I talked to, I'm like, oh, did you listen to Dr. Demento? And if the case is yes, it's usually, yeah, I listen to that. Fishheads, Weird Al. And then those are their points of reference. So what were the sort of, I mean, there's everything. I know there's, he would play a million things and uh, not exclusively comedy, comedy, but novelty uh, which we could get into later, but do you remember the first song or songs that you heard on his show? That was a long way to get to that question. I'm so sorry.
1: Uh, the, f- the very first songs? No, I mean I, I remember um, some of the very f- very first things I heard were a little off color. There was like uh, uh, "Davy's Dingy" by Ruth Wallace, and uh, you know "Bounce Your Boobies" and "Baby Let Me Bang Your Box" and a few things like that, <laughs> which my mother heard me listening to, oh, no. and she flipped out, and I was forbidden to listen to. The- Dr. Amato show. So at that point, it was like a, my, my secret little thing. Every Sunday night, I would go to bed early and pull the little AM FM clock radio under the covers and have it right next to my ear. And I would listen to the Dr. Amato show in secret.
0: Oh, my goodness. That's that is the most adorable little picture. Uh, <laughs> just just just. Oh, yo, that's the funniest. Thing. And only in one ear. So you probably have hearing problems in it honestly, <laughs> by now. That's delightful how uh, how long did you have to do that for before it was okay? You were old enough to be like, "Mom, this is my thing
1: until I was about thirty five mm-hmm. and then she was cool with it. <laughs> You've made a little money honey let's you're yeah. good,
0: you're good, that's delightful, <laughs> holy cow I was uh speaking of dr demento i i this is not a thing I normally pick up I've got a lot of records, but um I have one of these like you know, discs of a Dr. Demento episode Ooh. that this is from April 16th and 17th, uh, 16th, 17th of 1988, uh, in which he interviews you, um, because, uh, even worse had just come out or was just okay. about to come out. Uh huh. Um, and I was, I was going to look through it and see if there are any questions he asked you that I could sort of re-ask you now. This far down the line, although See if
1: I give you a word for word the exact same answer,
0: I know you won't because <coughs> you didn't answer one of them seriously. Of course. Because, oh, really? Yeah, that's not how you function. At least you didn't then. You know, maybe oh. more people take you seriously now. That could be what it is.
1: I'm more okay. in versimilitude now. Yeah,
0: it's fair. It's fair. Uh, oh no, there was one. Okay, there was one you did answer seriously. Uh, at one point, you said he said, "Oh, have you ever been tempted to write serious songs?" And you said that you had been tempted. You were. You had been asked to write serious lyrics. But that was not something you were into do you recall what any of those instances were
1: uh back then i i was asked to write series supposedly serious? yes mm-hmm. yeah i i don't remember i will say i'll we'll give you a more recent example and this is something that i've never told anybody it was like mm-hmm. uh I, I become friends with portugal the man mm-hmm. and uh and uh and john gorley w- was trying to like write a, a serious song with me uh, like he wanted me to write the bridge to a, a song that he was working on for the next album. Wow. And, and I don't, I tried, uh, to come up with something. <laughs> I, I, gave him a little demo thing. I, I, I doubt that he was going to even use it, even though he's a, a fan and everything. It was just sort of like, my, my brain is just not wired that way. It was just so difficult for me to write lyrics that weren't like tongue in cheek or, or funny. <laughs> it just, it just went against, you know everything in my DNA, but <laughs> so it's it's not the kind of thing that, that I'm good at or used to. I mean, I, I can, I can try, I mean, I can, I can write like music that isn't funny, but, but lyrics are tough for me just because I just feel like that's not who I am.
0: I get that. I especially after this long in the business and this being the thing you do, you'd be, you'd be expressing you, you would probably, I would imagine be like, well, what's the funny way I could express this exact same idea? Right, right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, it's, it's, you know, uh, you, you, it, you know, in the original interview, like I said, I, I wasn't quite sure. And I was curious if, if, if you had ever, I love that you've still been
1: asked, but you've done it. You've tried, you did it. I've tried. Yeah. i just, it's just not my, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's not my fort. <laughs>
0: <laughs> At one point he asked you if you're ever tempted to throw in four letter words. I know that's a common type of, you know, you're a family friendly gentleman. Um, but you know, you, you, you did say the idea has crossed my mind. So are, has, has there
1: ever been a song where you in your head, you did write a four letter word? You never. Mm-hmm. A- not, not really. No, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, So sometimes when you're coming up with the lyrics, you think, well, that would fit perfectly. But I'm never going to use that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it wasn't ever a case of like me like going, oh, darn, I wish I could say this, but it would go against my brand. You right. know, right, right, right. It's just not your thing. That's fair. Yeah.
0: Also on this, I'm sorry. This is going to be all over the place, but I I had never listened to this until today. You brought a record with you to play on the show by a gentle a young boy named Nico Princely.
1: <laughs> Holy cow! Yes. Oh, did have you ever had uh, uh, John Schwartz on your show? I don't remember. Yes. Hmm. Did he, he? He would have been a good person asking about that because he's the guy that you know. He, I think he played drums on that record. <laughs> But he he was he was the Nico Princely uh, connection. And I don't know what Nico's doing these days. That was a while ago. So mm-hmm. I don't know if he's still in uh, the music business. Mm-hmm.
0: He's like a uh, five-year-old or eight-year-old little Elvis impersonator. Yes. And not even impersonating. He's just singing. And it's the cutest thing
1: you've ever heard. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing.
0: <laughs> I did look him up. But I don't want to say what I found because it could be wrong. It might be a different okay. guy named Nico Princely. But if it's it is man. him... He's made some interesting career choices.
1: Is, is he still an Elvis impersonator? Uh,
0: no, 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 no. He's a, if it's him, if it's him, caveat. If it's him, he's a photographer, a very specific type of photographer. Oh. And it's interesting. Yeah, it's a very interesting career, career turn he's made. Um, okay, I found one other thing. One other thing that I want to ask you about. Okay. In, in digging through variety, there's something called Dog Eat Dog a Musical Review. Does this nothing sound
1: do, no nothing to do with me as far as I know? I
0: mean, uh Well here's what it says is that it's okay. using songs from writers. Doesn't say it <laughs> doesn't say that you had anything to do with it. And they also spell weird W-I-E-R-D and spell your last name Y-A-N-K-O-V-I-T-C-H. They fully ruin your last name. Uh and uh yeah, it's a song that it says uses music from Peter Allen, the Bobs, Emmy Lou Harris, Melanie, and Weird Al Yankovic
1: uh and uh yeah never heard of it sounds like somebody's uh, just can't, using i can't i can't say that i have this is sort of news to me uh was, was this ever produced anywhere <laughs> is, it, it,
0: it is a it it's a, in night is this 1988 or so, there thereabouts yeah it, it says that uh yeah musically there are some splendid moments so this is a full-on review of a thing that they watched
1: oh okay so well I'm glad to help <laughs> <laughs> that's insane to me
0: okay i'm sorry i'd never heard of it you'd never mentioned it and i had a feeling that was exactly why um yeah. All right, let's talk about Alan Sherman. All right. What did, how did he appeal to you? What was the first, like, why did it strike you as fun?
1: Well, you know, I, I obviously like parody, and Alan Sherman was sort of the gold standard back in the, uh, in the early 60s. Uh, I mean, um, I, I wasn't old enough to appreciate him in his heyday, certainly, but, uh, I mean, if you look at the history, I mean, he just had such an amazing streak. I mean, back-to-back, number one albums for comedy album, uh, like within 18 months of each other. He he had like three number one albums, some, something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, he had just a, a, as much of a dramatic fall from grace and fall from the charts. And he his personal life took a turn for the worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- which was all very sad. But I mean, when he was at, at the pinnacle of his fame, it, um, It was just an amazing thing. Uh, And he turned out quite a body of work. I mean, he was uh, so skilled in in, uh, the art of parody. Uh, He didn't do a lot of pop song parodies. He did mostly like uh, public domain (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which Very smart. Very smart. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, and I, I remember before I even heard Alan Sherman, I remember looking at his albums uh, at Pick and Save, which my mom used to shop at. It was like this, I don't even know if they're around anymore, sort of like this bargain store. And they would have big bins full of, you know, cutout albums, just uh, discount albums for like 25 cents, brand new. Yes, there you and go. there were a bunch of old Alan Sherman albums on there. and I would thumb through them and I'd see him, and he, it looked funny. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what it, what it was, but I just... I remember like just staring at those album covers and thinking like, oh, that, that looks interesting. Not knowing that this would wind up being one of my all time heroes. That's
0: crazy to me. How, but you you say that you you like parody, you liked parody. When did, when, it must've been a slow evolution into that as a concept, right? I mean, or did you know, like, had you seen it somewhere and it's just, or was your brain already working that way? Were you already writing parodies?
1: I don't know the first parody that I ever saw, but I, I think like every kid in the universe, you know, is sort of wired that way. I mean, when I, when I was eight years old, uh, I was making fun of songs on the radio. There, there was a uh, when I was taking accordion lessons, I had a book uh, of songs uh, like hits of the '60s. Mm-hmm. And I remember going through the entire song book and changing the lyrics uh, to to the uh, uh, words on the songs and all through that throughout the book. And there, I mean nothing nothing that would have been clever or <laughs> sure. witty I mean they're just stupid like eight year old what an eight year old would think was funny yeah. <laughs> at the time, but i mean that that but that kind of proves that i I was always a bit wired that way, and i'm I'm not sure where it came from i think I think most kids go through that stage, and I just am still going through that stage.
0: <laughs> I think it might have something to do with just the fact that when we're little, we are usually we're taught to and we are. Uh, rewarded when we recognize patterns and if you recognize a pattern and learn either how to break it or work within it or break it and work within it at the same time which you were very well known for doing you know you mix up your choruses it's not just the same freaking chorus every time um yeah i guess that 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 could maybe that's why we're all drawn to it as kids it's just like this is a pattern i get this what if i put the word poop in here
1: Right, exactly. I think there there probably was a lot of poop-related humor at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, I, that's sort of like a basic the basic core of comedy is like establishing a structure and then deviating from it. And that's sort of like what parody is, like people are familiar with the way it's supposed to be and then it takes a left turn. Yeah.
0: Have people stopped calling you a novelty act? I hope to God after this long they have.
1: Well, um I, I don't know. I mean, not to my face so much. I mean, it's, it's and it's yeah. not like a dirty word. It's just that sure. it has like connotations. Yeah. Like like I mean, I don't need to tell you this, but like novelty music, uh, that's that's a handle that isn't taken seriously. It's it connotes you know here today gone tomorrow. It's very ephemeral kind of art form, and 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 um, it it implies it's worthy of less respect than quote unquote real music. Yeah. Uh, so you know I, in, in the purest sense, I guess I am. A novelty artist and i always have been just because what i do is is so novel and it's certainly out of the mainstream and it's it's you know it's that that's what it is i, I just wish that that label didn't have such bad connotations
0: yeah i i think that's more my concern because we've talked about it if you know obviously a billion times on here and it's like if you call something a novelty it then sounds immediately like it's just a tossed off description and you don't want to dig into it any further and i i do think you've yeah. helped that i think you've helped that Definition, if only due to longevity and the fact that you continue to uh, keep up with stuff. I think that does elevate the rest of novelty records in a way. Um, Thank
1: you. Thank you. I, I like to call myself a novelty dinosaur because I've, <laughs> I've kind of broken the mold. Because like historically, like somebody would have like a big top 40 novelty hit and then that's it. They'd be like a footnote in pop history. And, yep. and I certainly didn't think that I'd be like still here, like doing podcasts you know, <laughs> to this day, so it's it, it's it amazes me that I still get to do what I do. But but yeah, I I like to think that I've helped maybe advance uh, novelty music or comedy music uh, into a place where people don't you know look down their nose at it quite so much. Have you had to actively, not
0: against your will, but actively keep up with pop culture in a way? I'm forty and I'm falling, and I know that I'm done. I know that I'm done.
1: <laughs> so. Honestly, I, I, honestly, uh, ever since Mandatory Fun came out, I don't listen to pop radio quite so much anymore. Uh, of course, if like a major hit breaks through, of course, I'm aware of it. But there are times when I look at the, the Billboard Top 10 chart, which I used to be intimately familiar with, and say... I don't think I know a single one of these songs. And I, I hate to admit that, but it's, it's sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not retired, but I'm just not focusing on parody songs quite so much anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to uh, develop some TV shows and some some movie projects and other things like that. Uh, I, again, I'm, I haven't stopped recording. I've, I've, uh, I've slacked off a bit. I'm not, I'm not cranking them out the way I used to. And I'm probably not going to ever have another traditional album. But every now and then, if the mood strikes or if a project comes along, uh, I'm very happy to, uh, you know, to to put something else out. But, but right now, I'm at a point in my life where I just want to try some new things and, and, and try to branch out and, and do some things that I haven't done before or haven't done a lot of before. Was it exhausting having to keep up with it or was it just part of your life? Um, I, I wouldn't say it was exhausting because I, I do enjoy pop music and, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it's, it's not necessarily what I would listen to uh, all the time for, for pleasure. I mean, um, I, I, I tend to listen to the same kind of music I listened to in, in high school and college as sort of my, like my comfort food of music. Uh, but but I, I still enjoy contemporary music and pop music. I just I just don't feel like it's part of my job description quite so much anymore.
0: Have you ever considered, or have you done, because maybe I'm not familiar with it? Have you ever Alan Sherman the
1: classical song? A classical song? Um, The only thing that comes to mind is the Peter and the Wolf thing I did with Wendy That Pro. was my first thought, too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. Uh, other right. than that, uh, I don't think so. And the other, only other thing was I, I did a uh, I, I conducted the uh, a Junior Philharmonic for uh, uh, Carmen Sweet. Uh, but I, I I didn't, like, put words to classical songs the way that Alan Sherman did. Sure. Okay. I just figured, you know,
0: if we're exploring new avenues for Weird Al Yankovic to go sure. down, you know, just go back 60 years and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some... Oh, man. What's the... What question do you hate getting all the time? Because I'm sure I've asked 10 of them. Um... <laughs>
1: No, no, no. I mean, you, gosh, you've, you've asked some questions that nobody's ever asked. I mean, you know, and I don't get the, I, there are like five questions that, that I used to get asked all the time from lazy interviewers that just didn't know what else to ask. Most, mostly where do you get your crazy ideas, (laughs) which is like the most generic question you could ask any comedy artist. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, and, and, and just like, and then just the technical stuff, like, do you have to get permission and, you know, even. All the, these questions are pretty obvious. So no, you, you haven't. You haven't come close to asking anything that generic or mundane. <laughs> good. Good. I
0: I wasn't legitimately asking, but thank you for answering anyway. I'm gonna t- <laughs> I will take it. And I had one right in front of me, and I lost it. This is what ha- happens once an in interview. I lose entirely where I was. I lose oh. track of what had happened. We'll just my, cut that right out. Nah, I'm just gonna leave it in. I'm the idiot. <laughs> You're, you, you know that that's fine. Uh, what? Okay, so all right. I want to go back to FM and AM just to keep it on the vinyl tip for a minute. Uh-huh. I've never said anything like that. That sounded terrible. <laughs> Jesus, who am I? <laughs> just to continue talking about vinyl. Do you remember the record? Because if you type a whole thing down, I feel like that does help you memorize it. Do you have any bits of it still
1: uh, in your head? Gosh, I I, I used to have a big chunks of it memorized, uh, but like the whole "Wonderful Wino." Uh, <laughs> but if, if I I could I I. If it was playing, I could probably say it along with it at, at a few points. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Carlin's DJ character, which, which was like the kind of stuff he was doing before he went, like, you know, hippie progressive, you know, alternative comedy mm-hmm. before he had his, his change there. But uh, I mean, I, I like both both sides of George Carlin. But uh, there was something about that uh, that old school, you know, uh uh, radio DJ patter that that really kind of appealed to me, and I I think that was the part that I, I tried the hardest to memorize.
0: This was the era that was handed to me. my mom so that was the only carlin i really knew until all of a sudden i saw on tv this guy in a in a you know dressed like steve jobs but with a ponytail and i was like what is this is the same guy it really hurt my brain he had these (laughs) two big shifts in his career one which is straight laced to hippie which actually fm and am is into sort of intended as a demarcation of that um you never had that but you did have the let's take off the mustache and, and and get LASIK. i mean that that's that's a change in and of itself did
1: it change your career at all uh, well i mean i i don't think it changed me creatively or artistically it may have changed in the way people perceive me i i can't say that yeah i don't yeah. know i i just remember it was an odd thing for me because um, I was so known for that first look—the '80s look. I mean, you know, I I, I post hundreds of, of uh, pictures of uh, kids dressed up like me for Halloween, and 99% is still the, the mustache and the glasses. Mm-hmm. So that was that was the iconic look. And I, I remember shortly after I had the LASIK surgery, uh, I was able to walk through crowds completely unnoticed, wow. which was weird because I was sort of like used to like kind of you know people staring at me, frankly. Mm-hmm. And, and it was weird to like just walk in a public place and I, nobody even looked. I was like, wow, this is different. This is, this is unusual.
0: Yeah, I don't think I would have placed you unless you had made a big deal, which you kind of, I think, had to make a big deal out of it, sort of. Which is weird to have to do that with your looks. Women go through it more, but it's not, you know, you know in, in the entertainment industry especially, but, you know, it's not uh, unremarkable that you'd have to do so much to announce that you look different now. It's weird to me. Um, Which I think that's actually the era that I saw you live the first time, which would, yeah, it was. It was a Running With Scissors tour in Delhi, New York. That is where you performed and came into the audience and I was like really freaked out. More freaked out (laughs) than I am now, I I promise. Um, Is that possible? Um, (laughs) uh, Okay, let me look at some other questions. Oh, I did want to, okay, Stan Freeberg. The reason I'd like to ask you about Stan Freeberg is he is notoriously a guy who hated pop music and parodied it from a place of if not hate um disdain did, yeah. uh, did but i but i still feel like he's the closest in terms of like making stuff sort of sound like the original thing
1: yeah i mean uh, stan freeberg obviously one of one of my, another one of my all-time heroes and and also it took pains to you know have things sound like the original um, he's, uh, he's the only one of my, uh, heroes that I've actually, uh, met in person and worked with. I mean, uh, I've, I've communicated with Tom Lehrer, but we've never met face to face. Um, I, I almost went to college at UC Santa Cruz just because he was teaching there. Oh my God. I came very, and then I realized that was not the best way to decide what college to go to because I was trying to major in architecture and that wasn't the, <laughs> they didn't have a school of architecture apparently. So. <laughs> But I consider that. Um, But yes, I got to work with Stan was on my Saturday morning show, The Weird Al Show, which was a a trip to have like your hero, like doing bits that you wrote. You know, it was it was crazy for me. And um, and and, uh, you know, just to hang with him, just to have have lunch with him and just uh, hear these amazing old stories. It was just uh, it was incredible for me.
0: One of my favorite stories I've ever heard was that he uh, so it's too bad. Cause I think these all went up for auction after he passed away, but he had trunk fulls of sound effects stuff because obviously he's a radio guy and uh-huh. a comedy album guy. But a lot of those sound effects came from the fire sign guys who had just had rescued a bunch of sound effects stuff from a dumpster. They recorded their first couple albums with them. And then Stan Freeberg basically walks by them at the, at the lot. And they're like, Oh, do you want these? And he's like, yeah, sure. So he, they handed, so those have gone down the, the history of, 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 of weird recorded comedy with fantastic sound effects. Um, that is a terrible segue to Firesign Theater. Let's talk about when you first heard Firesign Theater.
1: Oh, uh, I, I get, you know, Firesign Theater, going back to Pick and Save, that was the other comedy albums. Like, we're all Boses on this bus, and I, mm-hmm. I, I really like their album covers. Uh, and that, I didn't really hear them until a bit later, uh, like I, I think in college, because it was a big thing to listen to Firesign in college. And particularly, I, I had a shift on on um, uh, the the radio station, the mid, the graveyard shift, late in the middle of the night. And uh, late night DJs were notorious for playing Firesign because they could like play a, an entire side of an album and go <laughs> go to the bathroom, go home, take a shower, whatever, come back and it's still playing. Uh, but but uh, yeah, I love Firesign. Uh, I'm I'm still close friends with Phil Proc. Um, and, and uh, they just created uh, you know, the theater of the mind where you put on your headphones and they create a whole world. And the, the sound effects and the imagination, it was just uh, it was, it was amazing stuff.
0: And I'm assuming Everything You Know Is Wrong is named after their album, Everything You Know
1: Is yes, Wrong. Yes, yes, I, I, I stole that directly from Firesign Theater. <laughs> and uh, I, I, th- I think I thanked them in my first Grammy speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, ob- an obvious rip of Firesign.
0: What's funny is I think a couple years later than that, Chumbawamba did the exact same thing. They also called the song and there's everything you know is wrong. And for the same reason. I had no idea. Yes, yes. Somebody told me that and I'm like, that can't be true. So then I interviewed one of the guys from Chumbawamba. He's like, oh yeah, we liked Firesign. They have a very weird history with comedy music. I would, Im- I would imagine, here's my dream, is that Chumbawamba and Weird Al get together <laughs> and make an album that makes no sense. I don't know what that would be. But yeah, it's very interesting that you have both named... Uh, shortly after you did it, they also named a song
1: Everything You Know Is Wrong. Also you a know, very I, good song. I have big respect for them, not only because I really I like tub thumping a lot, but mm-hmm. but because they were so incredibly self aware. They were on, I think it was the Tonight Show mm-hmm. and they were all wearing shirts that said one hit wonder. <laughs> I thought, wow, well, you called it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's so good. They, what the crazy thing is, they've been around not as long as you have musically, but, you know, early 80s, late 70s, they're a punk band that is still sort... They're not together together now, but they still do weird punk. But they're, like, very severe English punk, you uh-huh. know, where they live it. They live that as a lifestyle. I, I wasn't
1: aware of that. So they're... They're, yeah. they're Wow.
0: Yeah. They don't make sense. They don't make sense as an act. And that is, I think, why they're a one-hit wonder, because if you can't make sense of them, you can't sell them. Exactly. Which is why, like... I. I think there's a way that maybe you, I don't know, by calling yourself Weird Al, which is, by the way, the fact that that is, can I tell you, congratulations on making that a thing that people can say now with, you don't have to smirk. This is a serious thing you call a human being, is Weird Al. (laughs) That is very strange that you've done that to humanity. I've I've normalized weird. It's very, it's beautiful. Um, Thank Thank you. But I think because of that, like, you know, that's a way of like, um, what's the word of uh typecasting yourself without uh, really typecasting yourself because weird can be anything and you can just move within that concept.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like I'm like, you know, going after Meryl Streep's roles in movies. So it's <laughs> not like that's Fair. really going to hold me back. <laughs>
0: um, are there any, okay. Uh, I'd like to know what inspired you to do the Peter and the Wolf album. Actually, why did that
1: come about? I think CBS might have pitched that. Um, okay. They 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 said, "What would you think about that?" The classical division of CBS wants to do a, a, a Peter and the Wolf, uh, and we'll have you. And it wasn't Wendy Carlos originally. They pitched, oh, who, who was it? Mike. I'm gonna get this. Is it Michael Tilson Thomas? Is okay. was he a conductor? I, I I, I, that's, okay. That's that's probably not the right name. But and <laughs> and the London Philharmonic, and I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll do that. <laughs> And then uh, I got to get back to me like, oh, the Philharmonic can't do it. How about Wendy Carlos? Like, well, that's much different, but that's equally amazing. So, yeah, of course. <laughs> and I got to work with Wendy and, and uh, that was such a treat. She's uh, just a, a genius. And just to uh, to see her work with all this, you know, at the time, cutting edge equipment. And yeah. and uh, and I got, I got to hear her diatribe about the the uh, the evils of CDs because there are so many frequencies that you can't hear on a cd and her music is full of all those frequencies sure and uh wow. but but yeah i i um yeah I haven't, I haven't i haven't um i haven't spoken to wendy in a long i wish i could get back in touch with her she was very cool she um i don't know if i've ever said this either she she was originally uh going to do the the music for uhf do the oh, school. wow yeah. And and I I'm not exactly sure what happened with, with that. Um, uh, she and, and, and Jay Levy didn't have a falling out, but just didn't see eye creatively. And then it, uh, John Dupre wound up doing it, who's also amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, um, th- that was just so fun to work with Wendy and and uh, and, to, and we, we, we sort of worked on our own because I did my uh, uh, my vocal tracks, at, I think Village Recorders Back in uh, LA, in fact, I remember I'm going off on these tangents. I'm Good, so sorry. Good, please.
0: No, otherwise it's me right. doing
1: it. I remember at, at Village Recorders. I rem- my one memory of that was I was singing through a, a windscreen, and uh, the engineer told me that's actually Stevie Nicks' pantyhose. <laughs> Because I think I think they were recording Tusk or something there, and 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 they didn't have a windscreen, so they just jerry rigged this thing with her pantyhose, and she was singing through, and they just left it there. So I I, I did the vocals for Peter and the Wolf through Stevie Nicks's pantyhose.
0: <laughs> oh my god, that's the most insane thing I've ever heard. <laughs> wow, are there. There must be other weird, where have you recorded all your albums? I'm not, by the way, I'm musically totally ignorant, so I'm not like the nerd for studios that some people are. I'm curious, are there any crazy studios that you've worked in that are super historical?
1: Well, it, de- it depends what you mean by that. The, the mm-hmm. very first studio, legitimate studio that I recorded in was Cherokee Studios in Hollywood, and they're pretty mm-hmm. famous. Yeah. Uh, I, in fact, I just heard on CNN they're coming back. They were kind of out of business for a while, but they're a legendary studio, and they allowed me to record my first album on spec, which was extremely nice of them. Uh, I paid them back, but for I mean, sure. it, the fact that they let, let this kid with an accordion come in at this legendary studio and re- record ba- essentially for free was was great. Wow. And then after I got signed, I was sort of contractually obligated to record at Scotty Brothers in house studio, which was Santa Monica Sound Recorders. So I recorded there for years and years and years and years and years um, until I think until Scotty Brothers sold my contract to to somebody else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I was various places as a Mad Dog Studios for a while. Um, Trying to think all all the places. Westlake, I recorded a lot. That's that's where I would. Michael Jackson was recording at the same time. I get little notes from that store uh and uh ooh, sorry and um and and uh and and uh, the last album i did it at bedrock mm-hmm. uh in uh and uh, uh at echo park which uh which which is which was great they uh i was i was shopping around for <laughs> i shouldn't be saying that i was shopping around for a deal uh for where to record my next album and they said well you could do it here for free and i was like that's a good deal Holy crap. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it on that so so uh i did they were extremely nice to let me do that and and uh i i gave them the uh you know <laughs> when i when I did that go gold i don't think it no it didn't go gold it went number one yeah yeah <laughs> and it and won the grammy so they were they were very proud to be part of that wow
0: well i mean you do sort of ooze goodwill there's nothing wrong with that you know Every once in a while, someone's going to offer
1: you free studio space. You know, it's that, that thrifty thing that I inherited from my mom. I was like, you know, that's a good deal. Why wouldn't I do that?
0: <laughs> you went to the 25 cent section. Yeah. You asked yeah. there first. That's absolutely fair. How, how early on, maybe it was from the beginning, but how early on were you like heavily involved in, in mixing, producing, getting it to sound exactly how you wanted it?
1: Well, Rick Derringer produced my first six albums, but mm-hmm. I, was, I was always extremely creatively involved from the beginning. I was mm-hmm. always, you know, there wasn't a moment when I wasn't in the studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it was for lack of a better word, it was still my vision, even though Rick was had all the experience of actually producing uh, uh, records. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after the first six albums, uh, it had gotten to the point where I felt like I'd been hovering over Rick long enough that I could take over the reins by myself. And, and and uh, you know, I, I, I love what Rick did, and I, I love him to this day. We j- actually just did another podcast, like, last week together. <laughs> wow. uh, but, um, but I just felt at that point... Uh, I was okay on my own. And it, it was really sort of like all the ideas were coming from my head anyway. So I didn't have to like translate it to Rick who then had to translate it to somebody else. Mm-hmm.
0: Were there, please tell me there were sessions where you had to cut out certain armpit farts cause
1: it wasn't perfect.
0: <laughs> you had to have had things like that happen. Right.
1: There were several armpit farts that we did have to delete. Yes, they weren't the right tune or they weren't the right length. So we had to really make sure that they were exactly the way they were written.
0: (laughs) Sorry, I have to know these things. These are things that are very... I asked one of the guys who produced all the the Python albums, and he, you know, uh, when he would talk about whose body parts were getting slapped to make certain sounds, those are the things that make up. That's a story right there, you know? Are the all the armpit farts yours? Are they Bermudas? Are they other oh, folks?
1: No, no the, uh, those were uh, a- almost entirely musical. Mike Kiefer who Oh uh, yes, okay. So and 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 just to to be uh, even more accurate, they weren't actually armpit noises. They were made using his hands. The, uh, he's what what uh, is a, a called a manualist. <laughs> And and we would uh, actually use use two different microphones when we were recording him because he'd, he'd hold his hands together like this. I know it's a podcast, but I'm showing you on the on the mm-hmm. Zoom here, like this. And and one microphone would be on top and one microphone would be on the bottom because there'd be different sounds coming out of both ends. So that's how it was stereo because it really was stereo <laughs> coming out of his hands.
0: Okay, see that that's what I'm talking about. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in terms of comedy production. Oh, that's good. <laughs> That's so good. I mean, do you? those are the moments like, I mean, I, I feel like making comedy if it gives you actual absurd life experiences that are stuck in your head. I mean, that's when it's worth it.
1: It's, it's you know, it's again, it's like such silly stuff, but it is an art and it's a craft. It's like there's engineers like saying, I think there's more trouble coming out of the top of his hands. And we'll, <laughs> <laughs> let's roll down the EQ on that. <laughs> Have
0: you, I, just to go back a second to the um, to the Peter and Wolf thing, have there ever been other experimental things you have wanted to try and haven't gotten to try out that weren't just strictly a straight-up Weird Al comedy album?
1: Um, not off the top of my head. I mean, I, I kind of feel like uh, I, I've done everything I've wanted to do in terms of, of Musically, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I I don't I can't think of any other direction that uh, I want to go. I've, I've certainly been able to try out every idea imaginable in my you know 14 studio albums, and and there's not a genre really that I feel like oh gosh I wish I had done more wailing songs you know. <laughs> uh, so I, again, I mean, now I'm I'm trying to to see if I can just you know um, use my comedy and and other uh, other media. Uh, so we'll see if that works out. It may may or may not. Uh, the, the records were always more of a sure thing. It's sort of like, like the day job. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Wow.
0: Yeah. That's. I, I guess I hadn't thought about it that way. You know, it, it, records seem so. Well, they're very permanent, obviously, especially if they're vinyl. They've got this. Um, let's talk about the art a little bit. I'm, I'm I'm fumfering and I apologize, but let's talk about like cover art and stuff. Um, you are obviously incredibly picky about how those look. I mean, going back to the first record, which has just uh, I still have not poured over it enough to find all the details on the cover. Um, do you seek people out yourself for the cover art? Is that something where you want input there? It,
1: it, it depends. I mean, sometimes we'll, we'll uh, I'll, I'll have just an idea for what the visual should be. And then, you know, the record label will recommend a, a photographer or an artist or, or what have you. Um, for the, so for the first album cover that was done by a br- uh, brazilian artist named R- uh, rogerio mm-hmm. who um i don't think he was married at the time but uh he is now married to andrea romano who's oh. a big voiceover director she uh, works on the simpsons mm-hmm. she, i mean she's hired me for a number of things over the years she's like the, the top voiceover director for animation certainly um, but Rogério, basically, um, we wanted to do uh, something in the style of Mad Magazine. I'm not sure why we didn't just go to Mad Magazine, but right. for whatever reason, Rogério had the job, and, and we—I think we probably gave him just a list of things, you know, to try to include, like this huge laundry list. Could you put this in it and this in it and this in it? And I think you wound up putting like everything in it. So that 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 album is just cramped back like, That's one of those albums that. You really need the LP because if you have it, you know, on, on anything smaller than that, you really, you know, miss miss the full experience. You miss the detail.
0: Yeah, which is why I'm excited that, you know, you've released everything on vinyl so far. I mean, I know that it's again, we're not going to have you released it in an entire <laughs> gigantic box set that, you know, we all want, but none of us can afford. But it is beautiful. It is that. Oh, my God. It's so it's such a good piece of work. I, th- I think Bermuda, when he was on here, was working on recreating the covers, if I'm not mistaken. At that time, he was on, on his way to recreating some of the original art for the covers because not all the original assets existed, which is why oh, this stuff is complicated. Sounds,
1: yeah, I, I think some of the stuff, he actually had, had to just you know literally scan an LP for mm-hmm. because, because the record label thought, oh, we won't need these masters anymore.
0: <laughs> this is the kind of thing... Uh, That drives me insane when I hear these things like I've I've heard all of the backstage drama for fire sign and like, you know, if they need a master, they need this or that. I mean, Bermuda gave me bits and pieces of working, you know, with you who, you know, he's been archiving your stuff from the beginning, but it's still stuff. If you don't own it, you don't own it. I mean, that could be very we, stressful
1: bermuda and i learned to go through the dumpsters at the record label and <laughs> see what they're throwing we we i we walked away with like a cars full of like promotional cds and stuff like that that literally literally they were throwing in the trash and i was like i'll keep this in my garage for 40 years you know i'm i'll hold on to this i'm not, i'm not proud <laughs>
0: I mean, you've got to do what you got to do. you got to save this stuff, um, yeah. especially if it's comedy. I'm, I'm mostly interested in comedy history. Um, are there? Uh, okay, well, uh, I hate to, it's such an open ended thing. But are there other influences that you don't talk about that often other comedy influences or music influences?
1: I mean, I, I, you know, certainly, I mean, I've I've got a huge list of artists and I I hate to even start mentioning, you know, going down that road because, I mean, basically everybody heard on the Dr. Minow show, there are people, contemporary people that influenced me to this day, Uh, uh, Lonely Island, Tenacious D, uh, Roy Zimmerman, Garfunkel and Oates, uh, Reggie Watts, Bo-, Bo Burnham. I mean, see, even now, I feel like I could go on for like, you know, yeah. 10 minutes, like yeah. naming names, but I'm influenced by everybody. <laughs> in the comedy music scene, both both back when I was a kid and, and nowadays. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see that the scene is still around. And and now with the Internet, it's, I think it's probably thriving more than ever because it's not just relegated to one radio show or, you know, it's any, any kind of comedy music ghetto like anybody that wants to get their stuff out there. Now it's easy as easy as just uploading it to the Internet.
0: I will say back in the days of stealing music, not that I ever did this kind of thing, uh, as I'm sure, you know, every comedy song ever was uploaded uh, under the name weird Al Yankovic. And I wrote them all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I will say I wrote a book and that does purport that that's the truth. Um, that you did actually <laughs> write them all. Um, that's part of the book anyway. Uh, are there any, do, do have you ever heard any of those? And did any of them ever be like, Oh, that's a compliment that they actually think that's me. <laughs> have you oh, ever heard uh, any of them?
1: Yeah. Uh, Uh, Of course, I've heard a lot of those. Uh, Mm -hmm. Most of them, uh, I would prefer not to have my name associated with. Uh Uh, Either they're not that good or they're a little profane or racist or what have you. Just like, "Eh, that's not really what I'm about. Mm -hmm. Um, And every now and then, uh, you know, uh, somebody like Mark Davis will do Rice, Rice, Baby. And I'll go, well, that's sort of in the wheelhouse. You know, that's (laughs) sort of like it's a food parody that's, you know, fairly on the mark. That's something that I would have done probably, you know. (laughs)
0: I think that is a weird thing, too. I, I'm certain there are people who have got it into their heads unconsciously. If they're, they love parody and they want to go into it, they probably do think you have to start with food or movies now. I mean, it is <laughs> because, right? I mean, you don't have any other life experience as a kid either, really. Food and uh-huh. entertainment are your two things. And or as Eddie Murphy would put it, um, talking about pooping, which we've all talked about yeah. As, yeah. as children. Um my goodness uh, is there uh, is there a comedy album we haven't discussed that might be worth discussing one one that you either had or listened to i mean oh, i know you didn't I'm have it sure a title, there is
1: but, mm-hmm. oh gosh what what else this is oh. the problem
0: i should have given you homework but i really did not want to inconvenience oh, you i thanks, felt
1: terrible uh i i will say another another one of my fa- uh, favorite early comedy albums was a uh, credibility gap a great gift idea oh that's one of my all-time favorites, so, and I, I was familiar with that just because I think I think at the time KMET, which also had the live doctor Damana show, they would play uh, you know little excerpts from that album, and I was like, "What? Wh- Where's this coming from?" And I <laughs> found out there was Credibility Gap, uh, which I you know they've gone on to do like so many amazing things in comedy over the years, just uh, unfathomable <laughs> amount of talent there. Um, so so I was. Uh, I I guess I must have recognized that early on because I just thought this was just uh, uh, an incredible piece of work and, you know, as a comedy album.
0: Yeah, they are a weird, they're a weird instance in comedy in that most of them are not there for the first iteration of the group. The first album, I don't think any of them are on it. It's all a totally different group of people. And then by, yeah, if I'm not mistaken.
1: A credibility gap. Yeah,
0: the first album is. I'd have to look up everybody. I, I, I'm so sorry because the nerds will know, but the, the the all the people on the first album are not the folks that, that are on a great gift idea or the other ones. It's uh, it's a there was what a was changeover. The, the, what first was the first album called. The first album is called an album of political pornography, and there's a guy on the cover who looks a lot like Philip Seymour Hoffman, and it's obviously not him.
1: Um, I'm gosh, I you know, I, I thought I was a fan, but I'm not familiar with that at all. It's it's not great,
0: and it's it's fine, <laughs> but it's not. It's not what they become. It is not the sort of fire sign-ish sketch, like just rich sound. I mean, that's my favorite thing. I mean, I, I feel like outside of- it's none of, of the original
1: guys? No, none of
0: the original- I don't think so. I, I, okay. I could be wrong. There might be one crossover, <laughs> but yeah, not the guys that we associate with it. Not the guys who became Spinal Tap or Lenny and, and, and I started a
1: group called The Beatles on it just won't have any of the original guys? <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, that was my next thought. I mean, uh, you know, if, if if Bermuda suddenly puts on curly hair, it's not yeah. it's not gonna be exactly the same group. It's not going to be the same exact thing. Credibility gap. I'm not going. To, I'm not going to waste my time with this. Take my word for it. Can we just go without? Okay. We'll just say take okay. my <laughs> word for it. I'm pretty sure it's true. Um, uh, I want to thank you, uh, a, for doing the show, um, and, my pleasure. and and for you know giving of me your time and uh, for being you know instrumental in me making my best friend. Um, it's, it's, it's a very important thing. It, it, that also kind of devalues our friendship and says, oh yeah, this, this one album is the only reason we're friends. That's not true. It's just one of the first things that was there. Well, you, I... Cheech and Chong. It was in 3D. In 3D is the first thing. He said, you know, hold this, watch this. He didn't say watch this. That's weird because it's an album. He told me to listen to it. I can't speak right now. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I will tell you, I've met you before and you make me nervous every time just because I'm you're so too sorry. nice. Because you're too nice. It's nothing no. to do with you. It's You're nice and I'm a... I'm a garbage human and it's just not fair. It just doesn't work. You you know, you've you've been the kindest person. Um, every time I've met you, um, you know, including, including up in here somewhere, like I said, um, this, uh, this episode is not going to come out until November because this is going to be our final episode. Um, Is there anything I I want
1: to congratulate you on an amazing run? I I have listened to the show on many occasions and, uh, and it's just a joy to listen to. I mean, bless you for, for, you know, bringing comedy music, uh, to, to so many people and, and getting in, you know, into the weeds and, and, Mm You know, allowing me to ramble on as well. I mean, you know, I, I don't normally go off on so many uh, t- tangents and 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 all these details that only like real comedy nerds would appreciate. Uh, so so thank you for for giving uh, giving all these people a voice and and uh, you know it's uh, it's 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 a great show. And I, I'm sorry to see it end, but I'm I'm honored to be the uh, not the penultimate, but the ultimate. The ultimate, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is
0: is there anything coming out around November 17th that you want to promote?
1: Uh, Thanksgiving. I think Thanksgiving's Ooh. around there. <laughs> uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask you one other thing. And, okay. Uh, I will leave this off the record because you can say no. I, this is There's seriously no pressure. I've convinced my best friend that somebody else is on the podcast today, and I would love to Zoom him in just to say hi and surprise you, and maybe he'll die of a heart attack. It'll be the funniest thing that's ever happened. Um, would you of be okay course. if I zoomed him in for five
1: minutes? I, I hope he doesn't die, but I'm I'm fine with that.
0: I, yeah. Okay. Good. Thank you. Let me. If he and by the way, if he doesn't respond to this, I will absolutely. I he will. I'll be the reason he dies. If he doesn't respond, he knows he's waiting for this. Okay. His name is Dan. Here, I'm going to point something out to you. So you uh, uh, again. This is uh, this is Dan as a young man compared with, and you'll see why. But um, we used to say that you were his secret father just because oh. of. Uh, <laughs> there we are so that was always a joke growing up and uh dan if you don't respond i'm gonna gonna, oh my god dan i've been doing this i've been using the podcast when i can i might as well do it on the last episode to surprise people every once in a while with people they're fans of if dan doesn't respond you you go in five minutes i'm not gonna force you to stick around um i'll wait for him to come on um i don't know i'm sorry i've been rambling this entire time i've never been so nervous i apologize but this is so super kind of you um
1: absolutely my pleasure
0: i think in 3d is my favorite album if we're just going to talk about stuff that i like <laughs> okay i love them all that is just thank the you. album that means so much to me
1: you thank know. you thank you now how old were you when that came out came out in 83 or 84? 84 84 right oh.
0: yeah i was four but i hadn't heard it yet i didn't hear oh, it until okay. i was 10. um i think i lived in germany at that time
1: was that the first one of my albums you heard
0: it had to have been yeah because i i'd heard all the other music through music videos. Cause my parents, like I said, rented one of those, you know, home videos of your, your videos. And, um, yeah. And yeah. So, but that was the first full album cause I don't think I knew that there were comedy albums. I don't think I really knew that there, it would have been, that would have been the first one I had ever heard probably. And then there's this Billy Connolly album that my mom for some reason let me listen to, which is filth. It's absolute <laughs> filth. Should not have let me listen to, I'm going to, all right. If Dan doesn't come on in four minutes, he's got to understand what he's missing out on. Dan,
1: Dan, Dan. All right. So are you? The, I I think I already know the answer to this. Were you the person that would go to the record store and immediately go to the comedy section and rifle through all the comedy albums? Still,
0: I I, I don't go anywhere else. I, that's why I'm I'm musically so ignorant. I have my three bands, and I kind of stick to those. Yeah. Which is yeah. which is they might be Giants, Queen, and XTC, and only XTC. Excellent. Because I was born in Swindon, where they're from. That's the okay. only reason—completely selfish reason. <laughs> um, I feel like there's there's got to be a million questions that I should have asked you, and I feel like I'm wasting your time by just sitting here by <laughs> doing this. I'm so sorry. I wore an almost a low anywhere.
1: <laughs> um, what? I mean, okay. What's your favorite album of yours? Of mine? Um, my my stock answer is always you know whatever my most recent album is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't. I don't really, because how do you, and here's another th- question, like, how do you determine, like, what's the best album? The, the most consistently good album, or is there one with, like, maybe some great stuff, but then some real clunkers on it? You take an average, like, are, are greatest albums out of the running because that's cheating? Right. Right. You know, there's so many parameters here, and I think, I, I don't know. I, I will say, as a very general thing, I think my last seven albums are much better than my first seven albums. Okay. If that helps
0: that's absolutely no it's absolutely fine is there is there a particular reason is it the sound is it i got you better were? you just got better
1: <laughs> yeah i i think you know it's that the whole malcolm gladwell thing like you get better if you do something for a long time and i think musically it's better and i think the lyrics are better and the production is better and and i just you know i i just uh paid more attention and more work every single time i put out an album so you know it's it's not you know like the first album, we recorded all the basic tracks in like 10 hours be- just because, OK, wow, it, it was just we, we didn't you know, I, I didn't know, like you're supposed to, like, take your time and do it right. Because <laughs> right. at the time, because of the first studio, I, I know that it was on spec, but I knew that I'd have to pay them back if I got a record deal. And the studio time was whatever it was, seventy five, one hundred dollars an hour. And and I was I was working in a mailroom for minimum wage at the time and I'm thinking, if I have to go to the bathroom bathroom, that's gonna cost me like fifteen, twenty bucks. I can't do that. <laughs> I, I was just like racing through all these songs and like my bologna was faster than I would have liked, but it's like <clears throat> it's close enough. Uh, move on, next one, you know. <laughs> So, okay. so, so, and now, like, I, you know, everything is just meticulous and I just really take my time. And, and I'm not like Fleetwood Mac who spends like a year and a half in the studio, but I, <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's, everything is really well prepared, but uh, a lot of time and energy goes into every single track now. Yeah. Wow.
0: I mean, I, I guess that makes sense. That makes, there is, uh, well you know it's such a dumb default thing to say It's so punk that early sounds so punk You just did it you know so minimalist But it's like no we were poor if that's what punk Is right. we were poor poor yeah. is punk <laughs> Which may be true which may be true That's the oh. case for the, the chumbawamba folks Dan's about to hop on You nope. are do you want to leave Because I cannot keep you It's <laughs> not fair to you No I'm good I'm good you're very kind Jesus this is this is uh, everything everybody Says is nice well then here I'll point out two other things And the other two times you were kind to me Uh, I once, uh, annoyingly tapped your shoulder and told you, um, why I became best friends with Dan. And this was by the way, while you're getting ready to shoot something. And I felt terrible about it, but I felt like I had to do it. Then also I'm in, I'm in the perform this way video, uh, as a photographer because see now I'm sounding like a stalker. I shouldn't be telling you these (laughs) things. I'm just a big fan. My other friend, Kurt, who was there with me has seen you 50 plus times. So he's worse than me. Wow. Is that, is that. Does that properly like push it off on somebody else that I'm less? No, you did well. That's great. Good. Thank you so much. Um, If Dan doesn't come on here, like literally, he will never live this down for the rest of his life. This is, this is terrible. Um, My goodness. I I do hope I get to hear some new songs from you soon. No pressure, but I'm, and I hope what you're writing is UHF too. That's, that's all I care about. If it's 2HF, 2HF? VHF, which is 5HF. (laughs) That doesn't work.
1: Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, i wish i could t- i'm not i know to- you can't of course you can't it's one of those, even you know it's one of those kind of things where I've, I've got several irons in the fire and if any of them uh you know get gr- green lit uh it's gonna my life will change and i'm gonna be working on them non-stop and it's gonna be a big deal mm-hmm. but it's it's sort of and I've, I've said this you know for for decades it's a miracle when anything gets made oh yeah because it's just uh, the, the amount of hoops that anybody has to jump through to get a project you know off the ground it's you know which is why i I've, was so easy for me to always just go back to the albums because like well i know if i record an album it's going to get put out but if i write a screenplay there's like you know well one percent chance it'll be a movie i don't know it's- right
0: yeah i mean that's why i've been forced to make my own you know i've made yeah. my own movies for that and they look like it they look like they're made by me but you know you you know you have to do it. We have to, yeah. it, it, it it's a, it's a weird compulsion that I have to make comedy and I think that's just this' just how it goes and I you know you' you're partly responsible for that and I appreciate it <laughs> I, I do I very much do all if right, Dan doesn't but... come on here I'm gonna murder him Dan's gonna die Dan's gonna absolutely die if he does not come on here in holy shit, I'm so sorry this is embarrassing all right. All right. no no it's not okay it's not all right um uh boy oh boy what's new <laughs> well <laughs> Um, <laughs>
1: got any no, podcasts
0: I, coming up i should listen for
1: oh I'm, I'm gonna be doing a conan's podcast uh oh next week that'll be fun mm-hmm. and i'm doing gilbert's podcast the week after that of course that will be fun what oh. obscure celebrity is he gonna ask you about that you've never heard I, I, we're gonna we're doing the whole
0: podcast on larry storch mm, okay from f troop mm-hmm. good i hope so larry <laughs> storch is still around he's like 99 or 100
1: is he? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I saw him at some kind of convention like several years ago and you know, still wearing the F Troop outfit. And I, but he look he looked well, but mm-hmm. yeah, he was like in his 90s I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he and he still goes around to those things. I love that he does it and he's very honestly, if that could be my career, I would take it. If I had a B part on Star Trek, I would
1: milk hey, that for the rest of my life. You know what? Why not? Why mm-hmm. not?
0: Are you there, Dan? Working on it. Hurry up. Your real father's here, Dan. I know. I see that. Hey, Dan. I I just peed a little bit. It's fine. Just a little.
1: We've been waiting for you.
0: (laughs) I was mowing the lawn. Trying to be a good boy. Well, I told you. I gave you a heads up. Dan, say something nice to Weird Al. You'll you'll never speak to him again because I'm going to prevent (laughs) it by murdering you. I appreciate everything you have done for the music industry. Oh, well, thank you. You say that like and you're you in the well. music industry. You're a comedian idiot. Say something about comedy, you dumb. Son. <laughs> I also appreciate everything you've done for the comedy industry. Great. Thank, Thank you, me. Dan,
1: for every everything industry for the world. <laughs> I think he covered it. I think it's all covered now. I think so. It's all too. covered now. It's all good.
0: Well, there we go, Dan. I just wanted you to meet Weird Al Yankovic, and I'm very excited. I mean, it's more important. We, Al, from from the moment we started, Al was asking about you and how he couldn't speak to you, and I kept telling him to just shut up for a minute. And like now, every few
1: minutes, I was like, "Is Dan here yet? Is he is he showing up? Yeah, oh, at, at least he's Dan about, would be there. <laughs> at least he's asking about me and not
0: my wife, like Dan Gore. Oh, that's true. We had Dan Gore from Brooklyn Nine Nine, and he kept asking him to see Dan's wife for some reason. It was very weird and creepy, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm just very quickly going to say thank you again, Al, for doing the show.
1: My pleasure. For
0: helping me do my final episode. Dan Miller, thanks for being here. Thanks for being my best friend for 30 years. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. <laughs> Only so much you can do. You still hear it? Absolutely, you can. That uh, what I'm assuming. I'm assuming you can hear this too, folks at home. This is um, the radio. (laughs) Some radio station that my microphone. My microphone picks up. I was just uh, switching them out because my other microphone was uh, picking up radio signal. And I thought I'd switch out to this one, which is my original microphone. They're both the same model. Got them both at the same time. And uh, I was switching this one out. (coughs) Pardon me, because uh, the uh, I thought, well, again, I told you I was switching it out, but I thought it'd be nice because this is the original one. This is the one I I recorded every episode of this podcast on until I moved here to Detroit. Um, Because, again, is it still there. Now there's some other interference. See this? This is the thing. You you yeah, still not used to this new space? What are you gonna do? Um, thank you for listening to my episode with Weird Al. It meant a lot uh, to do it, and it meant a lot uh, for you to listen to it. Um, you know, provided you listen to the whole thing, which obviously you're getting rewarded. Well, I don't know if this is a reward having to listen to somebody go on for hopefully not too long. Um, giving you their thoughts while again some random radio station plays in the background. Maybe I, maybe I can filter this out and you won't hear it. Not likely. God, that's terrible. Um, that's not why I'm ending the podcast, but boy, oh boy, it'd be a hell of a reason to stop. Right. Um, so, uh, I wanted to give a few thoughts on the ending of the show. Some of these are going to be written. Some of these are going to be off the top of my head. Um, I'm doing this uh, not after having listened to that to that episode. I, I haven't actually re-listened to it much since since it was recorded. Uh, I'm recording this on the sixth of November, eleven days before the podcast officially ends, eleven days before this episode comes out. And um, I don't know. I just wanted to get some some thoughts out about the show in general, um, since it's been a huge part of my life for almost eleven years um the biggest challenge of of the show was always you know weird scheduling issues but definitely getting people on who i dreamed to have on and i know that i've gone over this with a few people uh on the show you know that my dream my dream gets were always cheech and chong and weird al and then mel brooks if that could happen now i've met mel brooks and so that's you know i say met we were in the same room and a friend of mine had the the guts to ask for a hug um she was an adorable lady, so he gave her a hug, and uh, I did not ask for a hug, and I'm pretty sure I would have been denied one, but um, yeah, that would have been fun too, but I, you know, for this show to be wrapped up and bookended perfectly, obviously Weird Al had to be the final episode, and that was actually part of the, the, the thing that <laughs> helped me get him scheduled on the show. Um, uh, I won't go into too much detail as to how that all happened, but I will thank Taylor Jessen for it. Uh, he is the reason that that ended up happening. So um, if you want to follow him on Twitter and annoy him, it's at Sid S I D F U D D. Follow him and thank him for me, because I can't thank him enough for giving me that. Um, you know, even having met the man twice before in my life, it was it was another thing entirely to sit down and interview him, which is I hope what I did. I as far as I know, I I, I just blathered on for an hour and um, you know barely said anything coherent, but you know, if that's, if that's the case, fine. That's, that's how many of us go out. That's, 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 uh, that's what happens to humankind sometimes. Right. Did that make any sense? I don't know. Um, this, uh, this podcast has been, has been huge for me. Obviously it's, it's been, you know, not a, it's not a career maker, like some podcasters are for some people. And I might sort of reiterate that through what I'm about to say, but I don't want that to sound like, um, A complaint or me asking for for pity uh, much as I would have loved to have had this be a a huge massive massive show um, I'm not complaining because uh, I've met so many amazing people through this gotten so many like great emails um, from folks who listen and I I know how many people listen and it's a not insignificant amount of people Um, and yes only you know one person would be a not insignificant amount of people but this is fortunately uh, more than that, and that counts for more, and I'm a better person than I would be if I only had one. That's a joke. Um, it just... I, I don't know. This show was... I, I thought I was supposed to... I, I've reiterated this a lot, but I thought I was supposed to have a theme for my show, and I didn't have a theme for the show. Or, or Pardon me. I did have a theme ready to go because um, I, I didn't know that you, you didn't have to have a theme, that you could just bullshit. Um, I'm glad I didn't, though, because I would have. it would have been... I don't know. It wouldn't have been nearly the same show. Uh, it would have been what Dan and Jay's Comedy Hour, my other podcast, has become, which is Dan and I bullshitting for an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two and a half hours, sometimes longer, depending on the day and depending on the subject matter and how drunk we are. Um, I want... I, I figure maybe the best way to start this off is to thank some people, and I'm going to definitely forget people, uh, some of them on purpose. Not true, uh, but I, I want to make sure that I thank uh, a number of people Uh, including my wife, number one, for putting up with hundreds of hours of recording in our homes. Both the the places we've lived together, uh, we've lived together in three different places. Um, And these last two, I've recorded all 400 plus episodes of this show, uh, with a few exceptions of, you know, going elsewhere. And then, you know, uh, enough other episodes of other shows to reach over a thousand episodes of shows. Uh, It's it's too much, arguably, um, especially when it's not a career um but it is a passion she respects that she always has she's you know person who supports my my comedy vinyl buying habits uh much as those have stopped since the pandemic started um the one thing she doesn't like this that i owe 20 copies of own 20 copies of the first family and haven't done anything with them that's not true i've just started doing a little bit of something but i don't think she's any more pleased uh understandably it's that that makes that obsession makes no sense i'm a little warm i'm gonna take my sweater off um my my mom who i don't thank uh, often on this show because you know whatever she's my mom she loves me she doesn't need extra thanks hi mom you're not listening to this but if you are thank you for giving me comedy records in the first place that most of which were my grandmothers um if i hadn't gotten those even though the first stuff i listened to was on tape if i hadn't gotten those you know uh, i wouldn't have been obsessed with the idea of comedy on vinyl um just as a as a subject um you know, and they wouldn't have been become such a big part of uh, of my early life. Um, uh, to which end, I should thank my sister, I should thank uh, my best friend Dan Miller and my late friend Mike Shaver, because we shared those records together, um, shared different parts of different uh, records for different reasons. Dan and I were mostly obsessed with like certain cassettes, but like he definitely listened to the vinyl stuff with me when I was a kid. Um, I'd like to also thank uh, Dan's wife and one of my other best friends, Ari, uh, because she was there early on, um, Mike Warden. Mike Warden um, is, you know, credited as producer of every episode of the show, and for good reason. Um, he gave me some advice early on with the show. He lent me a recorder for the first four frigging years of the show. Like, just you know, it was a small, portable recorder, but I couldn't afford one. At the time, I don't think I could afford one now, but uh, I had one for four years because of Mike, and because of that, I was able to go a few different places and record some stuff. And while it may not have not have sounded perfect, that was with me while we recorded, you know, some of the better listened to episodes, like the the first episode with with Matt Besser. That's not the first episode, but the first episode with a a quote unquote name, Um, no insult to my other guests, of course, but like with a with a name in comedy that people beyond my certain group recognized Matt Besser is a known commodity and he was the first person to to do it in that way so I, I thank him as well but but Mike Warden was you know there and he supported it the whole way um he even started uh, he did like a mini podcast um called the cast cast. It was all about cast albums. And a lot of those were stuff that was definitely on vinyl. Um, it's a show that I would love to see come back cause it was great. And, uh, he has so much deep knowledge of this shit that I just, I don't understand at all. And I love musicals. I love theater, but I don't have the knowledge of them. Um, I should thank the, the people at a drinking game, which is a show that I was in. I started in that show. Let's see three months before I started this podcast Um, So that's been a part of my life longer than this, which is crazy because they are the two things. They just started at the same, roughly the same time. And the two things, if I'm ever like recognized, which barely happens, but it has happened. um, Or if I'm like, if, if I get a, oh, I've heard of that, or I've seen that, or, oh, you're in that. Oh, great. Wonderful. Delightful. The, The Comedy on vinyl and a drinking game are the two things that have given me the most recognition, but also like the hugest thrills of my life. Um, a drinking game has just has been an opportunity to sort of live inside the movies, which has always been a dream of mine, something I only recently articulated and realized, oh, that's that's kind of been a huge part of my life. And a drinking game is a big part of it. And it's gotten me guests on the show, uh, friends as well, uh, but also like I've sought out people whose parts I've played in those shows and spoken to them. That's been fun. Um, Dan Schlissel. Dan Schlissel discovered the podcast early enough to you know make the rest of this show sound fantastic because he ended up supporting the show and he's the reason i have the good mics and i have the good mixer uh he is not to blame for any terrible mixing issues on my part which i'm fully aware have been there i am not a perfect audio engineer when it comes to this stuff um especially like long form interview stuff it's it's uh you know but I am always satisfied with how it sounds, but Dan Schlissel has not just been, I mean, I, I feel like I'm underselling all of these people, but Dan Schlissel has been supporting it that way. He's been on the show. He, I know he's told other people about it. He's spread the word on his Roku channel, uh, put some of my episodes up on his Roku channel, uh, which I think are, is still up there. It, it is. I saw it the other day, as a matter of fact. Um, he, he and I are working together on the Dick Davy album, which is so exciting. Um, and actually since the announcement the other day, I've gotten more news about like, I really wish I could announce who's doing the cover art. Cause it's, it's a very exciting. I think it's a weird choice. It was my choice. I think it's a weird choice for the subject matter, but I think it's also weirdly perfect. Um, so once that art happens, I'm very excited about it. I'm excited about the whole thing. Um, I did write the liner notes, which I'm pretty proud of. I got to double check, make sure they're still good. But I think, I, I think, I think they're okay. Um, uh, but yeah Dan Schlissel's just been a huge part of it uh just, just this whole friggin adventure and a very good friend uh, and a very good uh, you know and it, it's I did not expect that to happen with this show especially since you know I moved out to LA in 2003 not knowing I mean I figured out what I was going to do is I'm going to be a director or I'm going to be a screenwriter right away I'm going to start selling movies that didn't happen but um when I you know, when I did make friendships, you sort of learn, you're sort of taught this, uh, this sort of uh, just get used to friendships being temporary kind of thing. And sometimes uh, get used to them being insincere or very, uh, very surface, you know, um, very shallow friendships. And I unfortunately took part in, in that definitely early on because I was an idiot and didn't know any better. So when I made friends on this podcast, I wasn't aware of, how many of them were like sincere efforts to be friends and um this show helped me realize that that's what those were so did a drinking game actually uh the you know the sort of partnerships uh, that you have to have on stage or in an interview or in doing business or whatever sort of teach you in a backwards way how to be friends with people uh if you're as uh, you know emotionally and socially stunted as i can be so you know they've helped with that dan schlissel is a big part of this he's genuinely a very good friend and a sweetheart and uh honestly like no joke like puts out the best vinyl comedy and the best comedy period you know including like local stuff but not just local stuff uh i say local minneapolis like a lot of great minneapolis comedians but a lot of comedians from elsewhere as well dan's got good taste dan's got really good taste so buy buy his damn records um such good stuff including the dick davy record when it comes out because it's it's going to be good it's 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 a weird little record and i love it very much um you know it's not often that you get to be like hey uh somebody found this treasure isn't that cool and then oh well let's turn this treasure into something that isn't just a podcast um you know i love putting stuff out as podcasts but i've had to hold on to it because i sort of felt like it was something else um yeah, we well, already thanked Matt Besser. That's on the list. Yeah, you can see some of this is definitely written down. I have a list. Uh, oh, and also, of course, thank you to Richard Levinson, who uh, provided the theme song to the show, Smile, um, after only a few episodes. I can't remember when we originally introduced it, but um, it's, uh, it's very memorable, and, it, and that song means a lot to me. It wasn't composed for this, but he's been kind enough to uh, let us use it this whole time. Uh, Rachel Bloom, the, you know, here's the thing. Rachel Bloom um, did the show... Every time she did the show, she was at a differing level of fame. But by the time she hit uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend levels, it was like, oh shit, she can never come back. That will never happen. She's the busiest person I've ever tried to get on the show again. And I thank her because she did the show at all early on, and it was obvious from second one of meeting her. It's like, oh, like I already knew she was funny, but it's just like, oh damn it, okay, she's she's somebody to like keep your eye on, and I she's the first person i think that i got to as a result of doing this show feel this sort of like um i won't call it friendship we don't know each other well enough to call it friendship um but to feel this sort of like i don't know pride because i i i feel like when you say pride that sounds like you're being uh diminutive and you're like demeaning the person Uh, sometimes but that's not what that is in this case it's genuine pride in in accomplishment because Seeing her go from a viral video to Jesus, holy shit, how is anybody this good at anything is so impressive. And to have been a tiny, and I mean a minuscule part of that, uh, has always been a a source of pride. And she let me be in one of her music videos. That's another one. I mean, that that was super, super, super fucking fun. But having her on the podcast um, was a damn joy. She's hilarious. Um, I will thank Weird Al. Weird Al... Um, you know, just like Dan, is one of the reasons this show even exists. The the first two episodes, which I will never stop apologizing for, uh, just because of how terrible the concept was, in case you don't know, the first two episodes we talked over two records, and Jesus, was it a terrible idea, but it got better from there. I think, um, I, I like to think within a few episodes, we've sort of figured out what it was and it progressively got even crazier and crazier. Um, but weird Al was, has been the subject matter for, I haven't counted, I have not counted, but I, it's countless. It's, it's probably the majority outside of, uh, Steve Martin and, uh, George Carlin. I would imagine the the two of them are, you know, pretty, the, the three of them are probably pretty neck and neck, but weird Al is one of the, one of the huge ones. Um, Taylor Jessen, I made friends with through the show. He contacted me. He's like, hey, I I heard you talked to to Phil Proctor on the show. Um, Would you like some CDs that I've worked on? Uh, Here's what I do. Blah blah blah, and like easily like he's one of my closest friends uh, on the planet, and it's because of the show, and that that's that's delightful. And I mean, by the way, I cannot even begin to like detail how many things he has helped me out with but i mean obviously the weird al thing is huge um i'm happy that he and dan Schlissel now work together um which you know uh, i'm gonna give myself uh, all the credit uh, that's all me i made all the business deals i wrote out all the contracts none of that happened phil proctor holy cow phil proctor is one of my favorite people and um it's funny because i started this show not being that familiar with fire sign's Material. I now am familiar with it, and I'm still half the time dumbf- dumbfounded by it because I still don't know what's going on because it's usually too fast and smart for me. Um, and I f- I consider myself a fairly fast, smart person, but Fire Sign, I love listening to it to try and figure it out. And Phil Proctor is half of the reason for that because um, he just he he's he is joy. Um, oh, I just hit my desk. He's part of the, he's been a uh, part of a couple comedy albums of mine. Uh, well one, and then the other one that I'm working on now, he's in that as well. And, um, never had anybody give me like better options for like, Hey, can I try it this way? And all of them are perfect. Yeah. You can try it any way you want, Phil. You're a genius. Um, he's a comedy legend and how the hell do I know him? It's fucking nuts. It's absolutely nuts. None of this is bragging. I hope you understand that. It's not bragging. I am just, uh, now I'm just pouring out. Um, how friggin' fortunate I am. Um, Jimmy Pardo, uh, Jimmy Pardo, I only met because I was already a fan of his through podcasts and hearing him on podcasts. I knew it was a stand up. And then I think I saw him do warm up at Conan, b- maybe because of Rob Cutner. Rob Cutner, thank you, by the way. Rob Cutner got me b- backstage at Conan once and helped me, uh, did a little tour with my mom. My mom was so friggin' excited. Um, but uh, I met Jimmy because of Paul Prevenza. Paul Prevenza did the show. He brought the show up on, uh, on Never Not Funny. Somebody mentioned to me that they found out about my show through Never Not Funny. And of course, that's when I subscribed to Never Not Funny. And I've been a subscriber ever since. Um, I've never dropped off. I drop off a podcast real quick, especially if um, I start to hear one of the hosts turn into an absolute prick or if um, the hosts start making way too much money from their podcast and that's all you hear. Uh, it's happened. It's definitely happened. It's rare, but it's definitely happened. It's like, Oh, okay. Well, your, your, your stuff is showing. I don't really need to, I don't need to that. See that. Listen to that. So, um, that's never happened with Jimmy Barno. It's never happened with never not funny. Um, they're successful. They're very successful. Uh, but never once been dicks about it. Never once been dicks to me, and they've been nothing but kind to me. Everybody at that show, by the way, I just know Jimmy the best, and Jimmy is a friggin' delight. And I'm proud to have uh, a baseball card of somebody who <laughs> has been so kind to me. He's—I uh, don't know. It, it, it would be very difficult to like uh, measure uh, how kind that man is, um, but he's also brilliantly funny. Um, I need all of his albums on vinyl. I'm kind of—I kind of uh, I suck like that. Um, it's been a while. I haven't bought comedy on vinyl in a little while because of this giant ass move I've had to do where I haven't bought anything really um James Urbaniak has been a guest on so many podcasts I tried to get him on uh, in this last round but I'm pretty sure I dropped the ball in terms of um scheduling but we did get some interesting uh folks uh as well he would have been in there but um I think I dropped the ball in scheduling but James has been a delight he's also he also did one of my comedy albums Sweetheart of a man. Cannot wait for the Venture Brothers uh, movie that wraps everything up. Look out for that on HBO Max. Um, Alex Salem. Part of a drinking game. But uh, I got to tell you, like, he's, you know, full decade younger than me or so. And uh, when I first brought him on, having him tell me more about the JFK, uh, about the whole JFK period made me realize, oh, crap, I don't know anything about this first Family album. Alex, why don't you tell me everything? And it was great. And he's since done sort of the same thing on other, uh, other episodes. Um, Alex is just very smart and very funny. Um, my buddy Alan Rickard, who again, if, if this was a podcast about a drinking game, I guess that's what, that's what would happen. But my buddy Alan Rickard has also done some great stuff. And, uh, the only person, uh, I, I just, it's just this weird fortunate thing. Sorry, I keep hitting my desk. It's this weird fortunate thing that there's one movie that came out in the last 11 years that, that is heavily about comedy albums. It's not entirely, but it's heavily about vinyl comedy albums, which is Dolomite is my name. And then my brilliant genius friend is in that movie, acting across from Eddie Murphy, and uh, you know, so I get to interview him about that on this podcast. And I don't know, it's just you know, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in um, the whatever that's supposed to be. I don't believe in kismet and all those things, but it's it is, uh, or maybe kismet's a thing you don't believe in, and you whatever. I'm exhausted. The point is, I'm very happy that it happened. I feel very lucky and very fortunate, and it was one of those things. It was like a genuine spark of magic to me that it happened. And uh, Alan is one of my best friends as well, and, you know, I feel like this show has helped with that. Um, uh, I think I already thanked them, but I'm going to re-thank them if I didn't, uh, the family of Dick Davy, I didn't thank them, I don't think. Um, but, but Sharon Hoffman... Lillian, his his uh, widow, his his brother, everybody that that has spoken to me about them. But the family has been so sweet and so supportive and the record wouldn't be moving forward if it wasn't for them uh, either. Um, And, you know, Sharon discovered these lost records and it's just it's insane. And they're just so sweet. And they're, again, a huge part of my life. Um, and, uh, I say huge. It's just one of those like, we communicate every once in a while, but to have some people who, like, will definitely return your emails and do it in a sweet way and tell you stuff about their personal lives and you do the same to them, it's, I don't know, it's very nice. Again, these genuine friendships coming out of this show that means so, so, so much to me. Um, to that end, Rusty Warren, who passed away not too long ago, um, sadly, and it was, um, kind of a crazy situation toward the end. And I wish I could have, you know, been involved in any way to help uh, alleviate the the stressors uh, that were involved. But, um, you know, some some good things are, are are look like they're on the front, at least for keeping Rusty's history alive, which is hugely important. Um, good God. I loved Rusty. She was and I again, I met her for three hours. Those three hours of that podcast are just about all I knew her for. Um Although that's not true, I contacted her originally back in college, so like two thousand one or so, and she was definitely down to interview. And that was back when I was—I'm still scared to do them now, but I was way too scared to do an interview then. I I'm way too scared. Um, I had a teacher suggest that I interview her because I was writing a, a movie about a female comedian uh, back in you know the '30s, which she wasn't in the '30s, but still fair you know she she was a fair equivalent to that and uh she was gonna be body, and i'm like i'll interview her and i never did i and i regretted it for a long time until this podcast came along and i was fortunate she was still around it was great you know she was on oxygen but that lady had just so much friggin energy and she was just still kicking and good god what a delightful friggin woman um I should also thank all the the families who worked on the family albums. So I say worked on um, who who participated in the the family albums series. Uh, Rand Hughley, uh, who is such a such a sweet guy, um, who I actually later had uh, dinner with in, in L. A. briefly, and we talked a bit about the podcast. Um, not a lot of things happen like that. Um, the uh, you know uh, Dawson and Harold families, both very sweet people. Um, I'm still trying to make something happen with that material. Um, in case anybody's curious, I don't know if I mentioned it on this show. I think I did, but we did we did lose um, we did lose Mr. Dawson. Um, Bell Harold, though, I do believe is uh, still contactable. I'm still trying to make some contacts because I'd like to see something happy happen with those two crazy records and find out if there's anything left of their you know insane eight-hour Pepsi-fueled um, comedy recordings. I, these are things I very much need to hear. Um, and I mean, I guess that's enough in terms of, of thanking people. Um, you know, I can thank my rest of my family because, Hey, you look at me, you made me interested in comedy. That's, that's fun. That's nice. Um, but you know, and they did, but specifically for this show. Um, those are the people who I feel like are the most critical to thank. Here's the thing. I know I'm also forgetting people and I I do apologize. I was looking recently through a list of just of people who have, um, actually, you know what, Uh, to that, to that end, I should, I should thank my buddy, uh, Jeremy Guskin and my buddy Mike Pryster, both of whom were on early episodes to sort of help me fill it out. Give me some info on stuff that I didn't know anything about. Um, see, I knew I was forgetting people. Um, and I'm just looking through the list of people I've interviewed who are just a lot of fun, Dan, back at all. Just had a lot to say. Andrew Bergman, who wrote Blazing Saddles, uh, who wrote the original draft of Blazing Saddles and kept writing on it. Uh, Tim Amundsen, that's a man I wish I could have interviewed more than once because that was one of my favorite interviews of all time. Kelly Carlin talking about, I can't go through all of these. This is too many. There's a bajillion. Uh, Dan Pasternak, uh, and Paul Dooley. Dan Pasternak, obviously one of my other friends have made through the show. See, I told you I was gonna forget people who are very important to me. Um, it's cause I didn't think this through and I I just did this at the last moment. Um, but Dan Pasternak, hugely important, not just to to me, but to the show. Sweetheart of a guy. He's he's helped out with so much with the show. Um my God, I know I'm going to forget somebody and please understand if I forgot you, it's nothing to do with uh, what a terrible person you are. It's more to do with what a terrible person I am. And that I can't, I just can't remember it right now. Um, we've had a lot of really good uh, episodes of late um, too. So just, you know, anybody who's been on has, has been a friggin' delight. Um, so I don't know that I, I hope you've enjoyed this show as much as I have. I I'm sorry for rambling on and on. This is just a very important thing to me. And, um, so i don't know uh at this point you know the the show is the show is ending uh for a number of reasons um anybody who knows me knows i'm a bit all over the place i make movies but filmmaking isn't my career um you know and the the thing i'm arguably second best known for if i'm known for anything at all is this is hosting a podcast and you know i've wanted to do a tv show of it um i've been thinking about that for a long time and trying to pitch it but this show isn't the size of other podcasts which affects that that thing that thing's ability to get off the ground same with the book i've started writing the book i've started researching the book and um but that's something that i love enough that i'd need the financial freedom to actually fully research and write it you know and um interestingly i get more like patreon support for another show that i rarely ever do once every few months which is insane to me and very sweet of those people um and that's not to guilt anybody it's just to say that this just is not a show to that can support that much as i would love it i would love to do this full-time if i could do it full-time i'd probably come back to doing the podcast or at least you know at least write the the book because i think that book could be something um we almost sold it once, by the way. It almost happened. But, uh, you know, that's how things go. I've, I've almost sold so many things. It's like, those are not stories. And almost a thing almost happening is not a story, but it is something you want to know. You want people to know. It's like, I put the effort in. I want you to know. I definitely put the, the goddamn effort in, and it almost happened, just so you know. And again, that's not a story. Um, but, you know, this is also one of the reasons I'm trying to concentrate on what I know best, which is actually making comedy. Um a lot of comedy nerds like myself want to know about how comedy ticks about how comedians ticks tick. And I did that. Um, you know, that's what I did with this show. And I feel like I, it's a, it's a pretty hefty catalog. I could have done more episodes, of course, over 11, almost 11 years. You'd expect me to have, you know, roughly 5,300 or (laughs) 5,300. That would have been a lot, you know, 530 episodes or so, you know, uh, by the end of this. Um, but that didn't happen, but that's cause you know, life happens and I'm not, you know, it's not that big a deal to have an episode every week if shit's going down. Um, uh, and I will be back every once in a while. I still want to do the history of Firesign with Phil Proctor and Taylor Jess and the history of Python with Andre Jackman. There are a few other mini series like that I'd like to do, but they're, they're not going to happen for months because uh, I've got to get shit straightened out before that happens um and also mini episodes if i unbox if somebody sends me a new comedy record you're welcome to do that the p.o box is on the website on stolendress.com and on Com- comedyonvinyl.com, i think um definitely on stolen um i like to review stuff um even if it's if it's yours too by the way people have sent me their records over the years like it was like hey i think you might be interested in this and every time that's happened the answer is yes uh teen comedy party record uh, being the one that stands out because it's crazy oh no not that not just that one sorry i can't say that one stands out to stand out that and of course uh, a gift you never ask for from friends you never had. It's a delight. Um, but long story short is I need to go back to making stuff. That does include other podcasts. Um, and that includes, you know, uh, that includes a podcast I want to do about Detroiters. Well, I am doing it. Uh, it's called D2 Reuters. It's at d 2 Um My News Radio Podcast. The Dan and Jay's Comedy Hour Podcast. And the big thing with that podcast is while I do it every week, I do it uh, with my best friend Dan Miller. Um, my dream understandably, and I don't even know if it was as much a dream when this podcast started, because we had released an album. We'd done a bunch of Christmas albums. But it's now definitely my dream to get a full-length comedy LP of my own under Dana Jay's Comedy Hour. I mean, we've been doing comedy together for 28 years now. (laughs) This is fucking ridiculous. I know I'm only 41, um, but, you know, we have been doing comedy since I was 13. Um, and it just, it would be this perfect culmination of everything we have done, we've done. And, um, it wouldn't be our last record, but it would be a really nice capper for what we've done so far. Um, you know, if I can self fund that, I will. But again, I know how hard it is to get people to spend money on an unknown commodity. That's been, that's been sort of this whole experience. And again, uh, I, in no way do I want uh, this to sound like a wine fest. It's just a, a very much a reality despite a a lot of people having listened to this. So many people (laughs) have listened to this show. Um, if every download paid me, blah, 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 I'd actually have an ass load of money. If it was a dollar for every download, I'd, I'd be doing. okay. Um, but uh, you know, it, it would, it it will happen one way or another. I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, right now I have a goal set though, that the, the digital version of the album at least will be ready by the end of this year. Um, And uh, if not, then I guess early next year, or if somebody says, yeah, we want to release the vinyl of that, uh, but please don't release it, then I will absolutely have to hold off. But I'm very happy with it. I'm very excited about it. Um, This is just what I like to do. It's very traditional sketch comedy. It is not uh, as, uh, you know, it's not as mm, high concepts, not the right word. It's not, it's not as high concept, uh, which by the way, actually means like very easy to understand. It's not as high concept as some sketch stuff, but it's definitely not as high minded as, as a fire sign record. It's a solid in between, um, with some transitions here and there. I don't know. It's something it's on my mind a lot. So, um, and it it is relevant to this, to this podcast and that will be an episode too. When that gets released, obviously we're doing an episode about that and the Dick Davy record, and all these other things, um, but that's why I'm ending the show, and, um, I don't know, the, 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 blah, 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 this is, is this what you wanted to hear, is this is what you wanted to hear me just, like, sound like a fucking idiot towards the end, um, with radio going on in the background very lightly, had you forgotten about that, uh, I hadn't, um, I think I've thanked everybody I need to thank, I think I've expressed what this show means to me, I mean, I, I recently just put, um, I have a cricket here, a cricket like a craft cutter, and I recently put the phrase have a good thing uh, across my record player, one of the ones that I think I reviewed on this on this show or one of the other shows. It's not a good record player, but it was given to me for free, so therefore I don't mind marring it by putting, you know, it's not marring it, it's putting a very important thing to me, to have a good thing, which was uh, completely pulled out of my ass uh, at the end of the first first episode, maybe second episode, maybe third, I don't remember, but... You know i've said it at the end of every episode i believe i've at least uh, endeavored to do same um so you know the uh it means something to me it's going to stick with me it will always be a part of me and anybody who's listened to it um and enjoyed it and especially those who have reached out to me you are a part of it and you're a part of me enjoying it and um you know a decade plus of your life put into something is why you've just sat here recording for 37 minutes almost um because i can't shut up maybe this has to be its own episode that (laughs) i put out right before the weird al episode i was gonna tag this on the end of it but i don't know if anybody wants to listen to that um i'm not sure but um either way long story short thank you for sticking with the show um especially those of you who've been from the very any of you but if you've been there from the beginning holy shit thanks so much hats off to you don't know how you did it because uh i barely could uh, especially just re-listening to those last ones really made those first ones really makes you want to kind of stop doing what you're doing and rethink everything. Um, please, if you would check out the Dick Davy record when it comes out, uh, we will talk about it on this feed for sure. Um, I don't have a date for that yet. A lot of uh, moving parts have to come together. Is that, that's not a thing. There's a lot of moving parts and also a lot of different things have to come together for that to work and um, check out, StolenDress.com. You'll see my other podcasts go up. Uh, most of them are going to be miniseries short form because uh, I'm not dedicating myself to another weekly unending podcast for a long time. Uh, Dan and Jay's Comedy Hour is going to be the one ongoing concern because um, there's a lot of improv that happens and there's actually material on there that may one day make it onto a record as well. Um, so I'm kind of hoping to, to do that with, with uh, some of the material that comes out of that show. I'm making comedy every week and that's, that's always been my dream. Um, it just takes a while to realize. Oh shit! You're already living the dream. That's fun. You know that's that's nice. So check out solindress.com, danajay.com. I sometimes up, update jasonklom.com. That's K L A M M. Uh, you can te- check out my link tree, which is linktr.ee forward slash jasonklom. I try and update that regularly. Um and honestly, on a serious note, if uh, you produce voiceover stuff, if you produce audiobooks, if you produce films, animation especially, animation's my absolute dream. Um, I'm a working person like everybody else. This is something that I guess I've never really made entirely clear early on. It was because of um, you know, uh, ego, maybe ego. Um, I never made it clear that I don't do this for a living. Um I work for a living and I haven't worked for <laughs> quite some time. But the dream is um is voiceover, especially animation voiceover. Um, I'm right now staring at a tie that belonged to Phil Hartman, who is my hero. And my dream is to be wearing that tie the first time I record something for, uh, an animation voiceover. I want to have that on and just like, uh, I don't know, that's, that's my dream. So if that's something you do, uh, you know, my voice has been in a lot of different stuff. I did a feature film last year, um, Bund- which I think is coming out soon. Uh, I've done a bunch of stuff, but um, never like a, a, a proper actual cartoon. Um, and that's, that's how I'd love to l- make a living, that in writing. Um, also, if you... <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to burn it all here. Uh, burn all this information. Uh, if, if, you, uh, if you're an agent, I'm looking for agent's uh, representation as an actor and uh, as a writer. Uh, I do have a voiceover representation, but it is one of those non-exclusive situations. So if you want me exclusively, you can have me. Um, There's, you know, uh, so I'm looking, you know, I want to write. I want to do voiceover. Those are my two big things. So if you're out there and you're looking, uh, if you're just looking to cast somebody in something,
1: um,
0: I would love to do it. Who doesn't want to live their dream? I tried for 18 years in L.A. and, um, you know, sort of starting over um, while also Still doing some stuff that I absolutely adore, um, which is podcasting. And I, again, I, I will come back to talking about comedy records here and there. Um, again, um, <laughs> this is a very weird thing. I, I I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I've apologized too much. You know what? I'm not sorry. Fuck it. This is my show. Uh, I love all the things I'm talking about. Um, I'd appreciate your support on that other stuff, because, like I said, um, I need to make a living. And uh, I would love to, uh, you know, if, if, you know if, if you would pay to help me get my first L- uh, comedy LP made, let me know. Um, because, you know, we'll, we'll find a way to, to make that happen, you know, if I got to crowdfund it or whatever. Um, and, uh, well, there we are. Go to StolenDress.com, all that stuff. And uh, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for listening to as many episodes as, as you've listened to. If this is your first one, I apologize. It's a weird place to start. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, you know what? uh, Let's make this a little more inclusive. Thank you all for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to P.O. Box 725165, Berkeley, Michigan, 48072. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Stolen Dress Entertainment.
1: Hey, it's my turn. Ah! Dan, hey, it's uh, all Yankovic, and I'm so sorry that you didn't want to talk with me on Zoom. I, this was going to be like the highlight of my day. And now I'm just going to go, I don't know, I'm just going to go in the corner and, and just cry. <laughs> so, thanks a lot, Dan. You ruined my day!
0: <laughs> See, it's, it's little things like that that, that make life worth it.